Scripture reading is from Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 13 and 16 to 18. It can be found on page 743 in the Black Bibles. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this kingdom, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petitions to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Ariane and Natalie, so much. We are spending three weeks uh, looking into one chapter of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, which is a pretty familiar passage for a lot of people, even a lot of people that are uh, not 
Christians are not familiar with a lot of things in the Bible. It's the story, as we just have seen, of Daniel being cast into the lion's den. And we're looking at this story really through the lens of the word of Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 5. Because what Jesus says is that if you live faithfully on behalf of him, several things will be true. You will be the salt of the earth. That's what we looked at and talked about last week. You will be the light of the world. And if you live faithfully for Jesus, you will be persecuted. Blessed will you be if you are persecuted, Jesus says, on his behalf. So you will be salt, you will be light, you will be hurt. Last week we talked about what it means to be salt uh, uh, on behalf of Christ in the world. Today we're going to look at what it means to be hurt if you are uh, salt on the earth. And we're going to be looking at that through the narrative of Daniel chapter 6. So let me pray and uh, we will dive into this text. Father, we do uh, thank you for your word. Your word is true. It is authoritative over our lives. And we know that you promise where two or more are gathered, you will be there as well. And your Holy Spirit will be present, applying your word to our hearts, transforming lives. We pray that you would be pleased to do that this morning through your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You shall have no other gods before me. That is, those are famous words. That's the first of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Ten Commandments are recorded in the Bible in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. And that's the very first one. You shall have no other gods before me. But what if someone asked you to take the Ten Commandments and to make them the Nine Commandments by removing those very words? According to groups that monitor religious freedom worldwide, exactly this happened in a house church in China back in November of 2018, so just a few months ago. A registered church, one that is registered with the state, not that is meeting in secret, was meeting for its weekly worship on a Sunday morning when in the middle of the worship service, Government agents, government inspectors walked into their place and their time of worship. And looking around, they noticed something. On their pulpit, just like this, there was a sign. And on that sign were the Ten Commandments. And one of the inspectors, in looking over that sign, turned to the pastor and said, You must remove the first of these. You have to take this off. You shall have no other gods before me. You have to remove that. Now the pastor obviously was nonplussed by this. I can't do that. I can't change the word of God. These are God's words and they are true. And the inspector said this, Xi Jinping opposes this statement. Who dares to go against the government? Now, Xi Jinping is the general secretary of the Communist Party in China. So not to obey that mandate, the pastor knew, would have serious consequences. And then that inspector made a direct threat. You should have, he said, you should have a clear understanding of the situation. Do not go against the government. 
And in the end, what ended up happening was that the inspectors went ahead and just removed the entirety of the sign, all of the Ten Commandments that were on the, uh, that were on the pulpit, and they took it with them, and they reported this whole thing to the government, and we know from reading the news that there's been a lot of persecution of Christians in China over the past fall, and, and, and many people continue to be missing and, and under arrest there. One brave uh, member of this church ended up talking to someone, one of these groups that monitors religious freedom, and he said this, back in August, the church's cross was forcefully dismantled by the government. Now they're trying to make the Ten Commandments into the Nine Commandments. Practicing your faith in China is very difficult. They are trying to corrupt our faith and make us betray God. Now it is true. Practicing your faith, being a follower of Jesus in China is very difficult. But here's the question that I want us to grapple with this morning. Is practicing your faith... Is being a Christian in Houston very difficult? It should be. It actually should be. And if it is not for you, if you never face pushback, if you never face hurt, if you never face pain, if you never face ostracism in your life, because you are a follower of Jesus, it really should actually make you take a step back and think and examine your heart and make you ask yourself, how committed to Jesus are you after all? Now, I know that's a pretty bold statement, but I say it because Jesus said it. And the only reason I would say something like that is because Jesus said it. He said it actually in a lot of different ways at a lot of different times. Last week we saw how Jesus in chapter 5 of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are you when people persecute you unjustly on my behalf. Rejoice and be glad for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. But then in John chapter 15, Jesus gets even more explicit. And in John 15, 18 through 21, he says this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. They do not know him who sent me. Again, these words of Jesus play out for us in the narrative surrounding Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to walk through this story with the words of Jesus still ringing in our heads and see what we can learn from it. We'll do this under two categories. First, the root of your hurt and second, the consequences of faithfulness. So first, the root of your hurt. Last week, as we examined the first six verses of Daniel 6, we did so with an eye toward the life of a follower of Jesus in a pluralist culture. 
In other words, what does it mean to live for Jesus when you believe that something is objectively and absolutely true in the middle of a culture that doesn't believe that, but worships all kinds of different things, all kinds of different gods, you know, themselves and, and everything else. So how do you live faithfully from Jesus when you neither separate yourself from the dominant culture, meaning you go in as salt, nor assimilate to the dominant culture? So you are still distinct in your following of Jesus. So the call of the follower of Jesus in a place like Babylon, where Daniel was, or in a place like Houston, where we are, is to go out, not simply to build a wall of safety around yourself or around your family or around your church, to go in, to dig in deeply wherever it is that the Lord has placed you, but while digging in, never losing what distinguishes you as a follower of Jesus and to preserve. The role of salt, as Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, is to preserve what would without it be subject to decay. So that the world that we live in, Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 8, is subject to the rot and decay caused by rebellion against God which the Bible calls sin, even yet that experiences the world does glimpses and aspects of the presence of heaven because followers of Jesus are united to Christ and followers of Jesus are present in the world. So this kind of life, one that neither separates itself to the culture, uh, from the culture or assimilates to the culture, is frankly incomprehensible to unbelievers. This sort of life makes you weird. It just does. It just makes you strange. And that incomprehensibility, how an unbelieving culture, an unbelieving world can't understand the life of a follower of Jesus, is very often at the root of the pain that you will suffer as one who trusts in and follows Jesus. So let's look at the story. The story begins in verse 1 with Daniel having worked hard on behalf of now his third leader of the region of Babylon, this time Darius, who is governing on behalf of the Persian Empire that defeated and replaced the Babylonian Empire. Now Daniel was good at his job. He was so good that he was about to be promoted from one of three presidents leading these other leaders in the region of Babylon to the chief president. So instead of being equal to an equal one of three, he was about to be over at least two. He was about to get promoted. Uh, and they would be reporting to him, and he would be reporting directly to Darius. Now, there's a key word in verse 4 that explains the root cause of why Daniel was about to be persecuted and was about to suffer. And that word is then. Other versions of the scripture say, on account of this. Now, that then in verse 4 refers to what is right before it. The king planned to set Daniel over the whole kingdom. There is a part, you see, of the persecution and the suffering of Daniel that is simply plain old professional jealousy and anger regarding the prospect of the loss of power and influence. And so you see in this text that the excellence of Daniel's work is one of the roots 
of his ultimate hurt. But the narrative continues. You see, there is an assumption among these other presidents and these other satraps, these other leaders, that Daniel is just like them. They're working from a false assumption. They're working from an assumption that everybody who is in this position of leadership in Babylon is in some way dishonest and in some way corrupt. And if they can just figure out the place, and this is because they're dishonest and corrupt, and if they can just figure out the place where Daniel is dishonest and corrupt, they can report that to Darius and they can be done with him. It was the corruption in this system of government was rampant. They figured it would be very easy to find this dirt on Daniel, report it to Darius, and Daniel would be removed, but they couldn't find any. They couldn't find any corruption in Daniel. Verse 4. They could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And in this sense, faithfulness meant that he was faithful to the role that Darius had given to him in the kingdom. And no error or fault was found against him. So integrity of life was the second root of Daniel's hurt. And the story goes on. After the presidents and the satraps realized that they could not trap Daniel in corruption because there was none, and they figured out that he was very different from them with respect to the excellence of his work and the integrity of his life, they attacked him at the consistency of his worship. We shall not find any ground or complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. That is in verse 5. And so they concoct an elaborate scheme that is based upon an irrevocable decree, because if Darius could take it back, he would have taken it back. That's part of the text that we didn't read for the sake of time. But they concocted an irrevocable decree that anyone who prayed to any God or man or made a petition to any God or man for 30 days who was not Darius would be subject to what ended up being a pretty harsh and cruel punishment going to the lion's den. Now why do they come up with this scheme? They come up with this scheme because they already know about Daniel's faithfulness and consistency in his worship. They already know that three times a day he goes to his room and he bows his knee in a a window facing Jerusalem and he makes prayer and petition to God. That's exactly why they came up with this exact plan because they know that this is the pattern of his life. The text tells us that he goes, even though he knows the decree and he knows the consequences, he gets down on his knees in front of his window and he prays to God as he had done previously. So consistency of worship was the third root of Daniel's hurt. So here's what we come up with and see in Daniel chapter 6. Excellence of work, integrity of life, consistency of worship as the root of Daniel's ultimate hurt. Now, I want to pause here and reflect on this. I want to be careful because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I do not want you to take away from this a moralistic impulse. This is not a moralistic story. I don't want to tell you, be excellent in your work. Have integrity in your life. 
Pray three times a day and God will love you. That is not the gospel. And that's actually not the full point of the book of Daniel. The full point of the book of Daniel is that God rules over all kingdoms and all human history and will bring his purposes about no matter what. But it is worth asking the question, in our own cultural moment, how many times right now, how many times can people who claim verbally to be followers of Jesus be really and truly charged with the crimes, in quotes, you know, the crimes of excellence of work, integrity of life, and consistency of worship? It does seem, right, not that often. Which is one of the reasons why that professing Christians in our culture have a tendency generally to blend right into the world without causing much of a ripple in it uh, in any way. But followers of Jesus, Christians, those who claim to place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ are called to be different. If you're a Christian, you are called to be different. To not separate from the world, but neither to assimilate to it. So Christians pursue their work with excellence. And not just their work in what we might call the sacred sphere of life, but the work that we do in the world. God calls us to do it with all our might. And whereas deception and corruption characterizes the world, followers of Jesus are called to live lives with integrity such that no charge can be leveled against us except that regarding the law of our God. And followers of Jesus worship God with consistency. Not only when it is convenient to do so, not only when it fits into the other priorities of our lives, but with purpose and with all of our lives. You know, I think for many of us, this idea of excellence is not particularly an issue. This is Houston. You know, if we're going to tend more toward, we're going to be a people that tends to find more of our, uh, our identity and our value in our work in the world than some others. And our, our tendency is going to be more uh, towards not only working with excellence truly for the glory of God, but finding our identity in our work and pursuing what we would understand as perfectionism, which is actually worshiping our performance, basing our own sense of well-being and our own identity on our performance, on what we do and how well we do it. So perfectionism is not excellence. Perfectionism is actually false worship. Perfectionism is the opposite of bowing our knees down to God and looking to him and, and, and calling out to him. It is actually worshiping ourselves and worshiping our work. But integrity and consistency of worship could be a struggle for you because you all and I, we, we live in a world and we live in a culture that does not value these things. It doesn't value this. And so if you're really going to go into the world and you're going to embody your faith in Christ through your integrity and through your consistency of worship, you're going to get pushback here. This could be the root of your hurt if you actually do it. And the consequences for integrity may be that you don't get the deal and someone else does because they are willing to lie and cheat and fudge the numbers and you are not. 
Integrity means that you may suffer social ostracism because you choose to protect somebody else's reputation when other people are gossiping about them or bashing them. Integrity means that you tell the truth when remaining silent or slightly tweaking the truth, maybe even just a little bit, you know would just make your life easier. It would just smooth out a pathway for you. It would give you one less thing to have to deal with, right? But you tell the truth. Consistency of worship means for you exactly what it means or for Daniel. That we are going to prioritize the worship of God to such an extent that the worldly consequences for doing so, and there will be worldly consequences for doing so, will fade in the background as not important because of how vital connecting to God in worship is for our ability to live consistently for Him in the world. It, 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 our worship of God is like Daniel going to the window of his room three times a day and praying to God. Why did Daniel do that? Was I mean, like, 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 why did Daniel think think about think about Daniel's life in the world and what this practice that he had in his life of going to his room and bowing down to God three times a day was? Why did he do that? Well, what Daniel was doing was that Daniel was consistently and constantly pledging his allegiance to the kingdom of God. He was living and working in the kingdom of Babylon, and he was doing a great job. Darius loved him. But he was not pledging his allegiance to the kingdom of Babylon. He was not pledging his allegiance to the gods of Babylon. He was not pledging the allegiance of his heart to Darius. He was not pledging the allegiance of his heart to his work. Three times a day, Daniel went to his room and he bowed down to God and said, God, I live and work in Babylon, but I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And he had to reorient his heart to that all the time so that he could live his life as a light for, for, for God and as for salt in Babylon. Now think about that with respect to your work in the world. Do you know why Daniel was able to do excellent work on behalf of Darius? It's because his heart was not wrapped up in it. I mean, his heart was in it, but his heart was not wrapped up in it. Do you know whose hearts were wrapped up in their work? The presidents and the satraps that wanted to send Daniel to the lion's den. They were the ones who were finding their identities in their work. They were the ones who felt threatened when their authority and their power may be taken away from them. Daniel was pledging constant allegiance to God and he was simply going to work and saying, I'm going to do a good job. And he was effective because his heart was not tied up in it. His heart was wrapped up in his relationship with God. God. That is very powerful for us because it forces the question right now for you and for me where is your heart? Where is your heart? Is your heart in the position that you occupy in the world? Is your heart in counting the number of zeros that comes after the other number in your bank account? Is your heart next to the grade 
that is next to your in the grade that is next to your name on the report card is your heart in your resume in the institutions that you attended and the institutions that you worked at how often do you work that into your conversations uh, you know in 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 general I'm, you know I, I I know plenty of people that are my age that that, that work those things into con- I, I do this okay I I don't. I know I have I have friends you know who work these things into conversations is your heart tied up in the behavior and the achievement of your children so that when they succeed you succeed and when they fail you feel like you fail your heart your heart is wrapped up in how they do because you believe that's what reflects on you and gives you your identity you see as Jeremiah the prophet said the heart is deceitful above all things and without cure Apart from Jesus, who can understand it? The cure for this heart disease that we all suffer from, this rebellion against God, this this deep desire that we all have to go our own way and to leave him and forsake him, is the good news of the gospel. That your forgiveness of sin, that your identity are bound up in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That you eternally belong to him because of his perfect obedience. His death on the cross. His resurrection from the dead on the third day. And not your ability to perform. And nothing, Paul says, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that, of course, is why we worship. When you escape to pray like Daniel did or you set apart time to listen to God speak his authoritative word to you through reading scripture when you make it an absolute priority in your life to gather week by week in our time of gather worship you are not performing so that God will love you you are pledging allegiance to the kingdom of God in the midst of a culture that is apart from that and different from that. So, what really, if you are a follower of Jesus, on a Sunday morning, at a time like this, if you know that the world that we live in, as Jesus said, is going to hate you because it hated him, Because the culture that we live in worships all kinds of different gods, all kinds of different things, just like Babylon, the people in Babylon did when Daniel lived there. What could possibly be more important, seriously, what could possibly be more important than gathering together, reorienting our hearts, reorienting our lives to what is true? Because we have all spent the past week Fighting for it, but also in the fighting for it, wandering away from it. That is why it is so vital. But if you do really pledge allegiance to God and his kingdom, here's the thing. There will be consequences. There is the root of hurt, excellence, integrity, consistency of worship. But the roots of this hurt will actually ultimately lead to hurt. I have to say that. Because Jesus said it. 
For Daniel, those consequences were to have very powerful people conspire against him to manipulate Darius and to force his hand into what was supposed to be a death sentence. I'm going to leave you hanging until next week to actually figure out what happened. But be that as it may, I don't, I, I don't know what shape this hurt is going to take in your life. It depends on a lot of factors. But I will ask you one key question. Have you ever suffered the loss of anything? Have you ever suffered the loss of anything? Anything at all? Because of your devotion to Christ. I ask that question because of the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 and John 15. Because Jesus does not say, if you follow me, the world might hate you. He says, if you follow me, the world will hate you because it hated me first. And the world proved that it hated Jesus by sending him unjustly to the cross. Now here's what this means. And this is, this is, this is somewhat intense, but this is what this means. If you never suffer hurt, if you never suffer any consequences in your life because you are a follower of Jesus, a Christian, then here is the question, what evidence is there that you have really bowed the knee of your heart and trusted in Jesus as your Savior? I know that might sound like a harsh question, but I'm getting old, you're getting old, the time is short, so let's, let's be real. If everybody loves you and likes you, if everybody, I'm not getting that old, but you know, I'm getting older. If everybody thinks you're great, if you never ever offend anybody, if you never offend anybody with your life or your words, and Jesus says that the life of a follower of him is going to mimic his pattern of life where everyone did not think that he was great, where everyone did not love him, and he pretty much was an equal opportunity offender because he always told the truth. So he offended, you know, he offended the religious people and the non-religious people pretty equally and pretty evenly. If our life is supposed to follow that model, and it doesn't ever, we suffer no consequences, everything is smooth, everything is perfect, everything is fine, then where's the evidence that we truly trust in him and that we're truly following him? Now, when I say offend people, I don't mean that you're called to be a jerk. I mean simply remaining consistent with the message of the gospel, that there is one path to salvation, and that path is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's an offensive message. It doesn't matter how you present it, and you should present it with warmth and with love and with grace and with care, but but it doesn't matter how it is presented, it is offensive because it challenges our world and our culture at the basis of our most closely held idols, which is salvation through self, which is a, a, a life of radical individualism where we are called to be our own gods. We are called to make our own rules for ourselves and our life that our path of salvation can be determined by me alone. And if you simply say that that is not true, but what is true is that eternal life lies out there for you. It's there for you. If you come and you embrace it through faith in Christ alone. How 
willing are we to suffer the consequences of that message? How many people actually know that you believe that in your sphere? You know, how willing are you, and this, is, this one actually gets a little bit rougher, how willing are you to have one of your children suffer loss because you are committing the life of your family to faithfulness to Christ and not to the things of this world? How willing are you not to get invited to social gatherings in spheres of influence that may be uh, that may be important for you and for a lot of reasons. Not because if you go to those things, you know, you're going to judge people. Well, Jesus went to all kinds of parties with people that were doing all kinds of things that he would probably not, well, not probably, he would not approve of uh, because he was God. But he was there. But a lot of times in our world, what I have found is we simply don't get invited to those things, not because we judge or disapprove, but people feel weird around us simply because you're not participating in the same things. And so it's easier to keep you out, right? Are you willing to be kept out? I ask this because I believe that the root of so much of our life in this world, and I, like I said, I never ever preach anything to you that I don't need to preach to my own heart. But I think that the root of so much of our life in the world is based on fear. Fear creeps in when we forget that we are ultimately citizens of heaven, that our eternal life in Christ is absolutely secure, that nobody or nothing can ever take it away from us. So whatever consequences that we suffer in this world are like the blade of grass that dies and is blown away by the leaf blower compared to our ultimate life in Christ. So if you live for Christ and follow Christ, you will be hurt as Jesus was hurt before you. But always remember that he was not only hurt before you, Jesus was hurt for you. He was hurt for you. So that you can rest in him and you can trust him with the consequences of a life on this earth that is lived for him. Your ultimate future is secure. You're a citizen of heaven. It cannot be taken away from you through your union with Jesus Christ. So we are safe to pledge allegiance to him and to live for him in this world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for going to the cross, not only before us, but for us, for securing eternal life that can never be removed because of the indelible and irrevocable blood that you shed on our behalf. Father, I pray that we would so treasure that life that we have in you that we hold loosely to the things of this world, that we consider the consequences of a life lived on your behalf as simply a shadow of what is to come and can never be taken away. Give us courage and not fear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.